Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This fifth season of our podcast is a special deep dive into a case that we covered as it was happening, the trial of Robert Durst for the murder of his good friend and confidant, Susan Berman. In Jury Duty, the Robert Durst prosecutor speaks. We present a series of exclusive interviews with L.A. Deputy District Attorney John Lewin, the lead prosecutor in that trial. John takes us on his journey from the very beginning of his involvement with the case, through the trial, and through the death of Robert Durst on January 10th, 2022. In our last installment, Lewin and I began our conversation about the testimony of the only defense witness in this trial other than the defendant himself, memory expert Dr. Elizabeth Loftus. On today's episode, we conclude that conversation. That's coming up right after the break. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A few quick program notes. Because the interviews had to be conducted by phone during one of John's early morning or late evening neighborhood hikes along a busy coastal road, the quality is often not optimal. We will clarify when it seems critical to understanding Lewin's narrative. Also, in the event that you would like to revisit our coverage of Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, check out Season 2, Episode 17 of Jury Duty. And for jurors' response to her testimony, listen to Bonus Episode 23 of that same season. And if you want to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. We pick up my conversation with John Lewin about the testimony of Dr. Loftus, with Lewin repeating his statement about the relevance of testimony by a memory expert in the Durst murder trial, and his assessment that the defense team had no plan for how to use that testimony. Remember, Loftus is coming in for one reason. She is coming in to dispute the memory of all of the statements that Susan has made about Bob's involvement having killed Kathy and in Susan admitting that she helped set up an alibi called Einstein, etc. So there are three ways to handle witnesses like that. You can argue that the witness themselves is lying. Now, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to show a motive, number one. Number two, you're going to have to show, well, why would all of them be lying, especially when many of them don't know each other? And then number three, when did they end up saying these statements? Even if you're going to argue they're lying, did the statements come out before they had a motive? Also related to that is if you're going to say that the witnesses are lying, you have to explain why they're lying. And if they're lying, then you expect that they're going to want to be coming to court to testify. So number two, the witness is not lying, but they are mistaken. Now, the problem with that is, is that you have to look at how many witnesses are saying similar things and can they all be mistaken? And generally speaking, if they're mistaken, so what that means is they're not intentionally lying. They just got it wrong. And that's where, number one, situation one, where the witnesses are lying, Loftus is not qualified to testify in that scenario. In other words, she can't say, hey, the witnesses are lying. She is qualified to testify about scenario number two. She's qualified. The witnesses are mistaken, and that gets to memory being implanted intentionally or unintentionally. 
etc. Number three is the witnesses are not lying and they're not mistaken. Susan told them exactly what they're saying she said, but Susan was lying. That's actually the best defense. If you use that defense, you can't use Loftus either. Now, I knew, and I've talked about this before, that when Chesnoff cross-examined Lorraine Newman, he still did not understand that distinction. He did not understand that you have to elect one of these three. They're all mutually exclusive. And instead, in one cross of Lorraine Newman, he argued all three. So when Loftus gets up there, I know that they don't have a plan. And what they do on direct was basically they try to go through Loftus's giant resume, okay? And that's what she does in every case. And she tries to have this kind of really phony humility. It doesn't work. She's very conceited. And she goes through and she lists the whole thing. One of the areas that she covered is the work that she's done with the Innocence Project and how many people have been freed were turned out to have been wrongly convicted on eyewitness identification or memory stuff, et cetera, and that that was proven by DNA. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about defense DNA experts, and I'm going to pick on the two defense DNA experts, so I'm not going to mention by name, but are very famous, probably the two most famous defense DNA experts. They have made their living using DNA to exonerate defendants. I want to be clear, and I've had this, this was one of my jobs in the office. Just because you have somebody else's DNA at a crime scene does not mean that the defendant has a crime. So it's important for me to explain. So as an example, we now have a statute that goes back about 20 years where defendants who've been convicted can request DNA testing. And for years, I was the guy that responded to those. And what I discovered was, is you would have a defendant who would say, listen, and in order to get testing, they had to first give a declaration that they were factually innocent under penalty of perjury. Well, these guys are all serving life, so the fact that they're going to perjure themselves doesn't really matter. So then they would say, I want to test this item. And the problem was, I'll give you an example. I had a case where it was a rape murder, and I had evidence that two guys were involved. One of them was the victim's husband, and then you had a second guy. And the victim's husband had been convicted, and he was now requesting that they do DNA on the semen that was found inside of his dead wife. Now, I had other evidence that suggested that the defendant had used a condom. So he's asking for this testing because he knows that if there's any DNA inside his wife, it's from the other guy. So I'm making the point that just because, and, and oftentimes when the, when the innocence people talk about these cases, they will mention, yeah, look, we found DNA that didn't belong to the defendant, but they don't mention the parts that I just told you. But anyway, these two experts have made their living off DNA. And by the way, they've done a lot of good work. Many of the people were wrongfully convicted. Yet, they came in on OJ, and they basically attacked DNA. It was disgusting, okay? And it, it just basically showed that, hey, listen, give them enough money, and they don't care. They'll come in there, and they'll attack the very thing that they use on a daily basis. So basically, here's the 
defense expert kind of view of DNA. If it's not my client, it's the most important evidence in the case. If it is my client, here's why it doesn't matter or is incredible. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In the next part of my conversation with John Lewin, he details his strategy for using some of Dr. Loftus's past expert testimony in order to undermine the confidence and regard of the jurors in her credibility and value as a witness. So they start with Loftus. Loftus goes through all these cases and how, you know, the Innocence Project, and she knows they're innocent because of DNA. Now, I'm salivating because I know that I'm going to hit her with probably the absolute worst thing that she's going to testify to in this case. So I knew about the Tim Hennis case, and the Tim Hennis case was horrific. So what happened in the Hennis case is that in 1985, and this is crazy, in 1985 at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, literally 15 years after the Jeffrey McDonald murder of his family, which also took place at Fort Bragg, There was a young mother named Katie Eastburn, and two of her three young daughters were horrifically murdered. The husband was training out of state. He had an airtight alibi. Everybody's white. The crime scene was horrific. There was an African-American garbage who had been driving by Katie's house early in the morning and had seen a guy that he described leaving the house. They also had evidence that Katie's ATM card have been used at a bank. So what ends up happening is, is that they discover during the original investigation, the cops discover that, you know what, there was a puppy that the family had and they had gotten the dog and they had since been reassigned. They were going to have to move to England and they couldn't take the dog. And a few days before the murder, they had sold the dog to a Marine at the base. And so this Marine finds out that they're looking for him. The cops, they want to talk to him. So he says, hey, yeah, I'm the guy that, you know, bought the dog. You know, yeah, let me tell you what happened. I mean, I I was there. I picked up the dog. I don't know these people. You know, as soon as I heard you were looking for me, I wanted whatever I could do to help. Please let me know, blah, blah, blah. So that's what, that's what he said. So they go back and they show the black guy garbage man, his picture, he ID'd that guy as the guy that he saw coming. And then later on, I think after preliminary hearing, originally there was a woman at the bank who had seen the person use the ATM, and she ends up, after originally saying she wasn't sure, also ID'ing that guy. That guy's name was Tim Hennis. Tim Hennis ends up getting convicted of these rape murders in 1985. And I can't remember why, but the case was overturned by the North Carolina Supreme Court. Loftus was not involved in the original trial. She does get involved in the second trial. And she is quoted as saying, these were two of the worst 
eyewitness identification she's ever seen. It's terrible, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he ends up being acquitted. They got the wrong guy. Lawsuits and Hennis literally go around the country doing seminars with defense attorneys on, you know, wrongfully convicted people. They even appear, I think it was the Dick Tavis show, together, you know, talking about, you know, how what a wonderful guy Tim Hennis is and, you know, how she's so thrilled to have helped him, et cetera. So sometime around 2000 or so, if I recall, they go back, the Army goes back, and they get Katie Eastburn's rape kit. Remember, they didn't have DNA in 85. Well, they go back and they do DNA, and guess what they find? They find Tim Hennis's semen, okay? So, so much for the I didn't know her, et cetera. So he was in the reserves, if I recall. The Marines called him back into active duty, and then he is charged in a military court with the murder. There's no double jeopardy when you're talking about federal versus state. So even though he had been acquitted in North Carolina, they, they were able to try him. Loftus was uninvolved in the third trial at all. And of course, and now all of a sudden he's alleging that, you know, he had a consensual sexual relationship with her. It's disgusting. By the way, Loftus has dedicated books to Tim Hennis. You know, I asked her a question about the husband of Katie Eastburn, and I remember that her answer was something like, you know, well, I viewed Tim Hennis as a victim, too. You know, she doesn't care about this guy's lost his wife, two of his three daughters. The, the, the youngest daughter, who was a baby, that he didn't murder, if I remember. She was really young. So anyway, that happens in the early 2000s, maybe the mid-2000s. Well after this case has occurred, and he's been convicted on DNA. Remember, this is the same DNA that Loftus has held up as the gold standard during her testimony on direct and all of the cases, because it justifies. So what she's able to say is, it's not just me saying in these cases that the eyewitness IDs were wrong or the memory was wrong. It's proven by the DNA. So I have articles interviews that she has given years later, and she still teaches it to her students, and she talks about the situation with Tim Hennis and how he was wrongfully convicted and never mentions to anybody, oh, by the way, it turns out they did his DNA and he was a murderer all along. I mean, Carrie, it's beyond irresponsible. It's beyond disgusting. I mean, it is it, it's beyond offensive. I don't even have the words to describe how horrific that is. This woman is literally teaching and giving interviews talking about how this guy is wrongfully convicted and how and what she did to get him off and never mentions, oh, yeah, by the way, it turned out he did it and he's serving life. So I know that I'm going to hit her with this. So when I hit her with it, her response is to say something effective. Well, many people have told me that the DNA in that case was not reliable because it was kept in boxes for so long. So I wanted to go after her. I did a little bit, and the questions were, so are you aware, Dr. Loftus, of any studies that show that when you leave evidence in boxes that somebody's semen magically appears? And all she can say is, well, I'm not a DNA expert. And, you know, I was gutting her. I gutted her for days. And, and at points, the defense and the judge were like, what more do you want to do with it? And, and what I wanted to do was I wanted to make it so that it was shown 
absolutely what a liar she was because I found it offensive. So anyway, that's what happened. She played dumb about everything. You know, some of the things that she did, if you remember, she wouldn't answer my questions. Anything I gave her, she wouldn't give a yes or a no. When I finally asked her if she would agree the earth was round, she, I forget what her comment was. But it was something to the effect of, you know, that, well, you know, most scientists would say so or something like that. So here's the interesting part. Very quickly, she had to concede that she could only help on this case if it was scenario number two. The witnesses were uh, mistaken. Now, she didn't admit that right out. She tried to basically not answer the question. But very quickly on cross, she had to concede that that was the only area she could help in. I could have easily turned her into my own witness, but that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to, to destroy her because that's what she had come so anyway, that was Loftus. I'm amazed because she's still being retained in cases. I, I don't get it. You can basically take, I'm not going to mince words here. I don't think she was honest during her testimony. I think she was impeached repeatedly. If you talk to the jurors in this case, they will tell you, the jurors on dirt, that she lied. And she lied repeatedly. So, yeah, that, uh, that's my situation with Liz Loftus. It's been months now, and even talking about it gets me angry. I find it absolutely disgusting. Oh, and by the way, this is a woman that has the nerve to compare herself in an article to Oscar Schindler, saying, if only I could save more. And the first time I remember I asked her, you know, she denied the quotes, and I read it to her, and I said something like, hey, was Oscar Schindler getting 900 an hour or whatever it was? I mean, it is just disgusting. I mean, I'm curious, Terry, what did you think of her testimony? I mean, I couldn't get over the fact that the memory expert couldn't remember having been questioned by you in a previous case. Oh, 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 let me ask something that cracked me up, and people have asked me if this was intentional, and it absolutely was. So Loftus would claim a lack of memory for anything that was damaging at all. By the way, the methodology for some of her studies was terrible, and I went through it, and she had no way that she's using, you know, children of her research assistants and you know, uh, not being accurate about the results. I mean, it, it doesn't stand scrutiny. But what I love is I want to say that she was voted, now I've forgotten, let's say she was voted the 58th most important scientist of the 20th century. So several times I would say, and you were the 59th most, but she would say, it was 58. And she seemed to have no idea that I'm simply asking that question to expose her arrogance. I remember another thing that she did is I asked her some innocuous question about, you know, did you speak to so-and-so? And she ends up saying, well, yes, while I was lecturing, guest lecturing at Harvard in their blah, 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 and I remember asking her, can you tell me, why did you bring up guest lecturing at Harvard? Did you need to answer the question? Well, I'm just trying to give you a complete answer. No, you're uh, apparently you were trying to add extraneous information that I guess do you think that it was important to answer my question to let everybody know that you guessed why you're in Harvard? So, uh, again, when you talk to the jurors, and you did, they hated her. I think if I would have had a rope and said, can we string her up, they were ready to go. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, the Robert Durst Prosecutor Speaks. Join us on our next installment as John Lewin and I begin our discussion of the testimony of the defendant, Robert Durst, specifically focusing on the direct examination of Durst by defense attorney Dick DeGarren. 
Again, in the event that you would like to revisit our coverage of the testimony of defense memory expert Dr. Elizabeth Loftus, check out Season 2, Episode 17 of Jury Duty, and for jurors' response to her testimony, listen to Bonus Episode 23 of that same season. Also, if you want to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. The episode was co-produced, written, and edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Robert Durst Prosecutor Speaks. <laughs>